Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. I want to ask if you ever found yourself in a situation where you were doing the right thing, but for all the wrong reasons, the wrong motives. I remember when I was a junior in high school, this will be a little embarrassing as you see this photo, I worked as a cashier at a local grocery chain. This was before my days of knowing Christ, and there were several girls who were my coworkers that I had interest in. And so a young man interested in a young lady, one of them invited me to youth group. And so obviously I started going to youth group. I was doing the right thing for the wrong reason. I'm sure none of my guys in youth group are doing that today, right? I never actually dated that girl or married that girl, but I did meet my future wife at that youth group, Tara, which is pretty awesome. But I was doing the right thing. Youth group's great. We should encourage our students to go, but I was doing it for all the wrong reasons. And that's a funny way to illustrate an important truth that we're going to unpack this morning. We can be doing the right thing, but we can be doing it for all the wrong motives. And the scriptures are pretty clear that God cares about our heart. He cares about our motives. And so I want to start by asking, why are you here this morning? Now let me just say, I am so thankful that I get to spend the morning with you. But what's your motivation for being here this morning? Or perhaps we could ask, what's your motivation for serving the Lord? What's your motivation for giving of your resources and your time? If the answer to these questions is the belief that you're going to earn favor or salvation because of it, please be open to what God's going to speak through his word this morning. I served previously in Wisconsin, and there was an elder who was also a youth leader. And I remember him sharing with the students as he was teaching. He was talking about service to the Lord. And as he's going about teaching this important topic, he made this statement that stuck with me ever since I heard it. He said to the students, we serve thee, God, because we love thee. We serve thee because we love thee. And all too often this gets mixed up and we feel like we have to serve God to earn something when in fact we should be serving God because he's given us everything already in Christ. And so why are you here this morning there was a survey in August 2020, pretty recent survey, Barna put out, and it asked American Christians, how does one get saved? What is the means of eternal salvation? If somebody came up to you and asked, what must I do to go to heaven? How would you respond? Think about that. What must I do to go to heaven? How do I get saved? When I pass away from this life to the next, how do I go to heaven? There are disheartening results 
from the survey that Barna released. Here's what they found. This is a quote. It was found that a majority of people who describe themselves as Christian, 52% of them, believe that a person can gain eternal salvation by being or doing good. You'll see the statistics here for each group. Pentecostal, 46% of them said that. Protestant, 44%. Evangelical, this is where Grace Point would fall on this list. 41% of evangelical Christians are saying that salvation is based on being or doing good. That is four out of every 10 in the group that we would fall into. And Catholics came in at 70%. So here's the sad reality. Apparently, majority of American Christians are biblically wrong. See, the belief of doing or being good, earning our salvation, is a lie from the enemy. Think about the implications with me. If salvation really depended on you doing or being good, we sung about God's holiness, right? He's perfect. And so we too would have to be perfect in order to earn our salvation. So I usually don't ask you to raise hands, but I feel safe with this one. How many of you have ever committed at least one sin? Go ahead and put your hand up with me. We got a lot of honest people out here. That's great. And so here's the reality. You can never earn your salvation by your own admission because you've already broken holiness. We also could say if we receive salvation and it depended on us to keep it, we most definitely would lose it. And so it's a shame that these results come in at 52% saying salvation depends on doing or being good. So maybe you've fallen into this trap of the enemy, thinking that your salvation depends on you doing good works. I want you to listen up and be free from this worldly way of thinking. So let's dive into our text and see that our works could never, ever save us, but there is someone's work who does save. His name is Jesus. So turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. We're continuing our series called Immersed in grace, and I will also direct you to the website. If you go to our website, there is a Romans hub that gives you lots of information, gives you our discussion questions, it gives you commentaries. It's going to be really helpful as you study along with us. That's on our website. Immersed in grace. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 4, starting in verses 1 and 2, building on the previous weeks. This is what the text, the Word of God says. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So our passage, this chapter, Romans 4, is going to talk a lot about Abraham. He would have been familiar to the Jewish believers, obviously, but also to the Gentile believers. He was a juggernaut of the faith. And Paul starts out by giving us a what-if situation. And so he tells the readers, the listeners, imagine if Abraham was justified, got salvation, received salvation by his works. What would the result be? So if Abraham's good works brought about his salvation, who would be the one to receive glory? If Abraham accomplished Abraham's salvation, who receives the glory? Abraham. And so scripture clearly forbids 
us from boasting or bragging about anything we've accomplished. We cannot boast. Our boasting cannot be inwards. Scripture does call us to boast upwards, right? So if Abraham received salvation, he'd be boasting inwardly rather than upwardly. And so there are times in my life, maybe you're with me, where I can get on a high horse, I can think I'm a really big shot, you know, I just made a three-pointer in basketball, and I'm just give me the ball again, I want to shoot again, um, and I can get on this high horse. Scripture does a great way, a great deal of knocking us off that horse and reminding us who we are and how big God is and how awesome God is. So I want to start right there because it's going to eliminate any room for any of us to boast. And so I'm going to turn your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting verse 26. This is a great way, if you've got pride in your life, read this passage, because that pride's going to leave quickly. This is what it says. Paul writing to the Corinthian church, chapter 1, he wants them to know this right away. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise. According to worldly standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord." Here's your resume and my resume. Foolish, weak, low and despised. You're gonna hire uh, that person? Probably not, right? And that's who God purchased. That's who Christ died for, you and me. And so there's no reason for you and I to boast except to boast in the Lord that he would redeem people like us. And so this is a passage I'll go to often if I see pride coming into my life. 1 Corinthians 1. So the Bible eradicates any room for us to boast, but the believer has every reason to boast in the Lord. So back to our Romans text, Abraham's righteousness, him being made right with God, could never be because of his own merits. There is no way that could be possible. There's no boasting in God's economy of ourselves. So then how was Abraham made righteous? How did he receive his righteousness? Romans 4.3 is going to tell us that answer. For what does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. The key word there is believe God. Belief in God is what brought about Abraham's righteousness. If you were with us a few months ago, back to our last family service at the beginning of the year, we focused in on this word belief, belief. And what does it mean? It means complete, absolute trust. Complete, absolute trust. It's putting your full faith in the God who can deliver us from our sin. It's removing Jeremy from the equation. It means we recognize how inadequate we are and how extraordinary God is. So how did Abraham display this kind of faith or trust? The New Testament contains the book of Hebrews, which is an awesome book because it takes the Old Testament and the New Testament, basically links them together. 
And so we see how the Old Testament foreshadows Jesus and it's gonna point us to the New Testament where we see his ministry there. So Hebrews is a great book that links the Old Testament and the New Testament together. And in the most famous chapter in Hebrews is chapter 11, and we call that chapter the Hall of Faith. The Hall of Faith. It showcases many of our, the faithful brothers and sisters before us who demonstrated an incredible belief in God. And so I'm going to show you um, in Hebrews 11, where we see Abraham demonstrating this incredible faith. And we see several instances of it. And when you see the word by faith, this is that same word for belief. It translates the same way. So this is what the text reads. Abraham from Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 12. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as innumerable grains and sand by the seashore. So Abraham was given several tasks we see in this passage. First one, leaving his home to an unknown land. That takes a lot of faith to trust God when he's leading you to a place you have no idea where you're going. Perhaps you've experienced something like that. But he trusted that God was gonna go with him and before him, he was faithful and obeyed God's instruction. By faith, Abraham and Sarah believed God's promise that one day Abraham would be the father of many nations, even though they were well past the childbearing days. He and Sarah still demonstrated faith, absolute trust in God. And then comes the pinnacle of Abraham's absolute trust when God's gonna test Abraham. So God provided Abraham and Sarah with son Isaac, God tells Abraham that it's through Isaac this promise is going to be kept. You look at the stars of the sky, the sand, he's going to have more descendants than them. And so we see God's going to test Abraham and ask him to be willing to give up his greatest treasure, which would be this promise, which comes in the form of Isaac. And so God's going to say, let me see your faith. Are you willing to give up the promise if I asked you to. Now, I want to be clear here. As we read this text, you're going to see that Abraham was getting ready to sacrifice Isaac. Child sacrifice is not something that's condoned in Scripture. It's forbidden very clearly. And so God was going to stop this process if Abraham moved forward with it. It was never his intention for Isaac to die by child sacrifice. I just want to be clear on that. Some people can misunderstand um, this text but Abraham was being tested to give up his most prized possession. So think about what that is for you. In this case, for him, it was the promise, and specifically Isaac. So look at verse 17 of Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was, even, was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. 
So Abraham, in the most difficult circumstance of life, the hardest moment, I'm sure, for Abraham, where he's having to offer his most prized possession, he still was willing, by faith, trusting God, that God was somehow going to deliver him from the situation, and he was going to follow God's lead. And we see his faith was proven genuine. Now, God was speaking directly to Abraham. We don't have that privilege, like an audible voice speaking directly to us today. But we do have something Abraham did not have. And hopefully you have it open with me now. You and I have the full canon of Scripture, the Old Testament to the New Testament. We have a gift from God right in our hands, on our fingertips, on our phones. And so we can be quick to say that's easy because Abraham had a voice talking to him. You have something right in your possession, the full canon. You know the beginning and the end, which Abraham was not familiar with. And so we have quite a gift. And in that Bible, it promises lots of things, but one of them is that we're going to have trials of many kind. The scripture continues and says, but take heart, for Christ has overcome the world. But I was wondering, how do we demonstrate today absolute trust and faith in God. What does that look like in today's day and age to demonstrate absolute faith and trust in God? As I was thinking of our congregation, our, our members, our attenders, our teens, there's been so much suffering amongst this group of people, even in this room. And so what does absolute trust, faith look like when you get a cancer diagnosis, when you have another medical issue that comes up? What does absolute faith and trust look like? I think it looks like this. God, I don't know why this is happening. I don't fully understand it. And it's painful, it hurts, but I know you're with me. I know that you're in this situation. I know that you care deeply for me. And I know you can somehow, even though I don't understand it, use it for your glory, your honor, your good. I know that's ultimately my good. And so please be with me. There also have been many of us that have had miscarriages or lost a child or lost a loved one. What does absolute trust and faith look like in those situations? God, I do not understand why this is happening. Help my unbelief. Help me to trust that you are with me. I know that you're in this and that you can get glory somehow. And Lord, I don't understand, but I trust you, I believe, and I know you're good. And blessed be the name of the Lord. Tara and I found ourselves in quite a few difficult circumstances. I think one of the hardest ones I've shared before was waiting in the ultrasound 20 week and the doctor just doesn't come back after the test. And time is just ticking, and you, your mind just goes to some dark places. And they come in and say, something wrong with your baby's brain. What does absolute trust and faith look like then? God, I do not get this. I don't understand. This is really hard. It's painful. But I know you're good. I know you're in this. I know you're with us. Just help us to be a light for you in a dark place. It's okay to be broken before the Lord, right? 
he goes before us. I was talking with somebody about this topic, and they have, they have a loved one that's going through a hardship, and they, they have this catchphrase that they share with each other, and it's, even if God is still good, even if we're not delivered from this medical issue, even if the cancer comes back, even if we're going to chop again for another surgery, God is still good, blessed be the name of the Lord. And so I just wanted to spend time there because there are opportunities for us to demonstrate absolute faith, and it is so difficult if you've ever been there. Let's get back to our text. One thing I love about the book of Romans is Paul's gonna answer every question that comes up when we're reading. And so my mind as I'm studying this text is, you just told me Abraham was saved by faith. Now you're telling me it was belief in God, but it's not works. Couldn't faith in God be a work? And so let's look at this, because Paul, the text is gonna answer this. In Romans 4, 4, we're gonna start to see the answer. This is what it reads. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And so we understand this. If we work, we earn our wages. It's due to us. It's not a gift. In fact, if you've ever experienced an employer messing up your paycheck, what's the first thing we do? You know, Monday morning, hey, uh, I saw here, or maybe we're sending an e email that day, right? Kind of messed up my hours here. I worked 20 extra. We want to make that right immediately because we are due what we agreed when we signed the contract together. And so we understand what, what Paul's saying here in Romans 4. If you work for something, you deserve the wage. You have earned it. But salvation is not like that. Faith belief is not a work. It's a gift from God. And that leads us to our main takeaway, our main point, which is salvation is a gift. It's not a paycheck. Salvation is a gift that God has lavished on us, not something any of us in this room could ever earn or have earned. And you don't believe me? Ephesians 2, 8 or 9 is a great place to see this. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. See, gifts are not deserved. They're given out of the kindness of the gift giver and the love of the gift giver. It fails to be a gift if the one receiving it has earned it. And so salvation is a gift from God to an unworthy people. Romans 4 through 5 helps us understand this a little bit more. And it reads, And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So the Bible is going to bring these thoughts all together, and it shows that forgiveness is not earned through works, but rather provided through faith. Faith in what? Faith in who? Abraham had faith in God. He absolutely trusted God. And Romans now gives us an important insight that Abraham's faith or his belief was in the God who justified the ungodly. His faith was in the one who justified the ungodly. Who did that? Who justified the ungodly? Jesus did, that's right. And justified means to cause us to be in right relationship with God. And so Jesus is the one who did that, and we see that we're gonna quickly move ahead to Romans 5. This will be coming up in future weeks, but it's a great plug-in here. So you're gonna see the word ungodly appear here too. For a while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. 
For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us that for God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ is the one who died for the ungodly. He's the one who justifies the sinner. He's the one who offered himself on Calvary's cross to pay your debt and to pay my debt. His work provides salvation. So belief in Jesus, absolute trust in Jesus, even when it doesn't make sense with life circumstances, is what gives us salvation. It's our only means, is Jesus. Christ's righteousness given to us in the greatest exchange the world's ever seen. But here's a question. Abraham, when you think of a timeline, was before Calvary's cross, right? Before Jesus' earthly ministry, before he was crucified, Abraham was back here, right? So Abraham, how could he be made righteous? That just shows you the power of Jesus' blood, right? It's not just future forgiveness. It's forgiveness for all the past faithful as well. This text shows us that Abraham was forgiven because of his belief in God and because of the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Shows you the power of Jesus' blood to forgive sins, yours and mine included. So 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. It's all about Jesus. It's not about us. It's not about our efforts. It's all about Jesus. And that's why you see John the Baptist. He says, he must increase and I must decrease. It's a great prayer. Jesus gave us everything. He opened our eyes to this truth. And as this text wraps up in Romans 4, 6 through 8, we went from Abraham, and now we're going to go to another character, one that we should be mindful if you've been at Grace Point for any length of time, a man named David, who we spent a lot of time looking at his life. It's a couple months ago now. Now let's see what the text says as it brings up David, and we're going to recount some of what we discussed in the previous sermon series. But look at Romans 4, 6 through 8. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sin are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So I love how this passage wraps up. We're directed to David who experienced the mountaintops and some serious valleys and hardships. And this is a quotation of Psalm 32, which says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there's no deceit. Remember that this is a person that committed some of the worst, heinous, evil sins recorded in the scriptures. What a blessing that David's sin is covered. What a blessing that God doesn't count his iniquity, that God's given him a full pardon. Did he still have consequences for his sins? Yes, yeah, some major ones. Do we have consequences for our sins as well? We sure do, but God doesn't see our sin anymore. It's separated as far as the east is from the west, and if you tried to measure that, you never could. That's how far God takes our sin away from us for those who believe. My question is, are you and I really any different than David? Have we committed some heinous and evil sins against a holy God? Yeah, we all acknowledged at the beginning, saying, yeah, we at least sinned once. I wonder what the number actually would be, right? 
And so praise God that our sins are forgiven as well, if you believe. If you know Christ, you're blessed because your transgressions are forgiven. And think about David writing that psalm. The emotion as he's just considering, wow, God, you are a God who can forgive me for this. I'm going to ask those that have experienced the forgiveness of Christ to participate in something here that we're going to do corporately. If you've received the precious forgiveness of Christ, I want you to insert your name into this, and we're going to say it together. I'll say it first so you know how it's going to go, but I think there's power in us putting our name and seeing that our transgressions, that we're blessed as well, just as David was. So it will say, blessed is Jeremy, whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is Jeremy, against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. And so let's say it together. If you've experienced, remember, forgiveness is for those who have put full faith, full belief in Christ. And so if you haven't done that, just want you to hear the testimony that this is as, as you hear people praising the Lord for the forgiveness. And so let's say it together. Blessed is Jeremy, whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is Jeremy, against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. We are so blessed to have the forgiveness of Christ. And maybe you're here and you haven't experienced that. And so before moving on to some application points for those of you who know Jesus, I just want to say, if you never trusted in Christ, maybe you've been living in this works-based theology that you just have to maintain and check off all these items, and then maybe one day you'll arrive. Maybe one day you'll be able to reach all these different checklists. If you've been living that life or you've never heard of Jesus, I just want to encourage you to put your full faith, your trust in Jesus Christ, to repent of your sin. That means you're turning away, acknowledging, I could never do this on my own. I need you, Jesus. You're the only perfect one. So I want to encourage, if that's you, don't leave this place without putting your faith in Christ. And maybe you have some huge questions we just scratched the surface of this morning. Would you find me, find one of our prayer team, find an elder, one of the other pastors, find a friend that you know loves Jesus. Start a conversation. We want to open that door for you because it's the most important decision you'll ever make. But what about those of us who do know Jesus? If it's true that salvation is a gift from God, not a paycheck, then everything in life changes. If we're a forgiven people, we're no longer dead in our trespasses and sins. It means we're alive, and it means you carry a message of hope that this fallen world desperately needs to hear. Do you understand that wonderful calling? It doesn't matter if you're a pastor, a teacher, a plumber, electrician, politician, special needs, caregiver, construction worker, president of a company, lawyer, stay-at-home mom, or a principal, and the list could go on. You have a calling to make Jesus Christ known. You're an ambassador of Christ, pointing people to Jesus, and you've been entrusted with that message. So how can you serve? How can you use your gifts for the kingdom of God? First, pray for opportunities to share the gospel. First thing for us believers that know Jesus, pray for opportunities to share the gospel, and then when they come up, God's gonna answer that kind of prayer. When they come up, take advantage of it. Pray also for boldness. God, give me the opportunities and give me the boldness to tell people about you. That's the first thing that you can do. The second thing, if you are a believer in Christ, 
and you've not taken the steps of getting baptized, getting baptized is a wonder, wonderful display of what God has done. It removes boasting of yourself and it just highlights, this is what Jesus has done in my life in redeeming me. And all of us get to witness what Christ has done and we all praise the Lord together. So baptism is a great way to illustrate what God has done. Salvation's been a gift that you've received. And it's really exciting. We're gonna have so many baptisms coming up. Um, We talked about baptism at youth group and lots of students are starting the conversation. So I'm hoping we'll be filling this tank quite frequently celebrating what God has done. So we also have some adults too. So maybe you haven't gotten baptized yet. Let's talk. Talk with a pastor, elder, friend. We'd love to get you baptized. Talk more about what that means. And lastly, serve in some capacity within the church. God's doing some amazing work here at Grace Point. So use your gifts. If you are a believer in Christ, you have a spiritual gift that God wants you to use in service to him for his glory and a gift to the church. And so you have so many opportunities to serve. I have the joy, it is a joy, some of you might say a joy, working with middle school and high school students, it really is. And we're seeing God do some amazing work in the lives of students. We've been growing rapidly. That's a picture at Meglio's um, with like some 65 of us, I think, in that photo. We go to pizza after youth group and fellowship together. So maybe you could consider filling the, the gap we have in needing youth leaders. Maybe students aren't your thing. I see some, oh, what are you asking me, Jeremy? We also have a need in the student ministry of somebody, people willing to watch the kiddos of some of our youth leaders so they can serve my family included. Tara would love to be part of the youth group more, and so, but we need somebody to help watch our kids so that she can serve. So maybe you don't work with teens, but you love littles. That's an opportunity to serve. There are so many of these opportunities, and so if you are interested, please talk with Joan. She's a great connection piece. You can talk with me, any of the other elders, pastors, or really easy here, you can email us at serve at gracepointpa.org. We made that very easy to remember. And so we would love to get connected with you there. So brothers and sisters, we can rejoice because God has provided salvation. That salvation does not come by any of our own efforts. It's a gift from God. May we receive it with open arms, tell others about the gift so they too could receive it. And remember, salvation is a gift. It's not a paycheck. Let's pray. Dear God, we are so grateful for the opportunity to gather together as we consider salvation. There are so many in this world that are trying to earn it. It just grieves my heart to think of the survey that even 41% of evangelicals think they have to earn salvation. You've provided salvation as a gift to us. We see Jesus Christ living the perfect life, going to the cross, to pay the debt for sinners like us so that we may have life and have it abundantly. So I pray for each heart here. I pray for the heart that doesn't know you. I pray that you would work on that heart. Give them a boldness to come and talk, to share the questions that they're wrestling with. I pray that you would be with them. I pray for those that are going through trials of all sorts. Would you give them opportunity to display absolute trust, full faith, and obedience in you. 
Would you strengthen them with the situations that they have going on? Just allow them to know you're with them to the end of this age. And I pray that Grace Point stand as a beacon of light to a very dark world. Might you use us to further your kingdom here in Newtown to the ends of the earth. May you be glorified and honored in all we do. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So we are gonna wrap up the service. Just want you guys to take every advantage of the opportunities you have to share Christ with others. And if you have that opportunity, I love hearing those kind of stories. So if you get in a conversation with someone, fill me in. I want to hear how God uses you. So go in the grace of God, and we'll look forward to seeing you next week. You guys are good to go.